Okay, please turn with me to Jeremiah this morning, Jeremiah chapter 9 again. Our study now for the 24th hour is in Romans, the epistle of Romans. We call it RTE for short, Romans the epistle. And I'm working on a hypothesis, working it out before all of you, that Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 distills the whole message of Romans in one sense. It, it grabs the whole message up. And therefore, Romans, the epistle of Paul, written in the 50s AD, of the first century, is a fanning out of what Yahweh, the Lord, spoke in Jeremiah, the prophet. He spoke this not only to Israel, but he spoke it over all the earth in a voice that echoes right to our own time. There is salvation in this word. There is salvation in the listening to it, the hearing of it. And the hearing of it, the receiving of it is up to the Lord. So continuing the thought of Vicky's song, and we live in dependence on you. Now there's, without getting fancy, I have a term, and I had to, Look it up and repeat it over and over again. There's a pronunciation guide on Google now, I guess, because I don't know how to pronounce things, especially when it comes to Latin or Greek. And so I look it up, and there's this, there's this phrase called, and I want to just do all this in prep for the message. It's spelled C-U-R-V-A-T-U-R-A-E. Now, it's Latin. Martin Luther wrote about it in some of his Latin texts in the 1500s. Curvature in ad se. Curvaturae I, actually there's a big I in that pronunciation. Curvaturae I in ad se. And all that means for us is curvature in upon oneself. Curvature in upon oneself. That's what God saves us from. Curvature in upon oneself. That's what God saves us from. By grace. And he continues that salvation through faithfulness in which we participate in Christ. No matter where you are in life, no matter how deep the valleys you're going through, no matter how high the mountaintops you're on, we need this message. So I'm going to read it first, Jeremiah 9.23. This is what the Lord says. And again, this fans out throughout Romans. Yes, Paul wrote it, but this is what the Lord says. And there's never been a time where we need this more than now. In our nation, in our culture, in our generation, in our children's generation, and in their children's generation. The wise person must not boast in his or her wisdom. The strong person must not boast in his or her strength. The rich person must not boast in his or her wealth. Instead, if someone boasts, let him or her boast that he understands and knows that I am the Lord who does mercy. 
performs mercy, shows mercy, executes mercy, and judgment. Now, the way these follow judgment is a function of divine mercy and righteousness. We're learning in Romans that that's a key word throughout Romans, and it means God's saving act in Christ on the earth. Because these things constitute my will, says the Lord. Now we're fanning it out. Last week we got to the wise person must not boast in his wisdom. This time we've gotten this far, and this is where we are in fanning out this verse. The strong person must not boast in his or her strength. Now, the Romans were world-famous boasters. They nicknamed Rome the Eternal City. They used the anagram Roma and Amor. Roma, and then Roma spelled backwards, Amor. The personification of love. So they recognized themselves and called themselves eternal love. Roma Invicta was a famous motto. It means unconquered Rome. And it was inscribed on the statue in Rome. It was a motto used until a certain date called 476 A.D. when Rome fell. Catastrophically, the Western Roman Empire fell. SPQR is what it's called. Senatus Populusque Romanus, the Senate and the people of Rome. Remember, this epistle is written to Rome, to saints in Rome, to people set apart in Rome, set apart for God. SPQR boasted in their wisdom. They boasted in their wealth. But most of all, they boasted in their strength, which was mostly invested in the Roman legions. Strength and honor. You probably heard that in the movie Gladiator. They never said that. That wasn't a motto. That's something Russell Crowe cooked up with as the main star, cooked up with the director, Ridley Scott. Strength and honor was evidently not a motto among the Roman legions, even though it was used in the movie Gladiator. Don't let Hollywood define your history. Nevertheless, Rome did boast in her own strength and glory. Then there was something that I think is going to be very important as we fan out our study in Romans. It was called the Prien. P-R-I-E-N-E, inscription. This is the most relevant to our study in Romans. The Prien inscription. Prien was a certain town in Italy. And the Prien prescription, inscription rather, decreed, quote, that on the birthday of Augustus, that's Augustus Caesar, Honor and worship should be given to him as divine. As the Savior who brought peace and justice to all. 
That's Augustus. And notice how it continues. Who has, as the one who has inaugurated an unsurpassable new age. As himself, the divine good news, that's gospel, for the whole world. Now, that's what Romans the epistle says from beginning to end about some other person named the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a high and mighty Roman Caesar who boasts in his strength, but a Jewish prophet that was crucified in weakness. And yet who now lives by the power of God. So ceremonies to the goddess Nike. Nike. Or. The Roman Victoria. Were enacted. After the conquests of cities or regions. One of these celebrations was probably conducted. After the conquest of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. That's part of the abomination of desolation that Jesus predicted. That's already happened. And that certain cultists now like to call something in the future. It's a Christian cultism of a Christendom that is not Christianity. Has no answers for the world today. Never will. Never has. As we learn from our study in Revelation, we spent a few years in that book, Jerusalem was given the nickname... Babylon the Great, the mother of the whores and of the abominations of the earth, in Revelation 17.5. That's because she imitated Rome. She imitated Rome's pride and self-glory. She suffered from the curvature in upon oneself, curvaturae in adesei. She suffered from the curvature in upon herself. It started in the angelic realm. I will be like the Most High. A certain angelic creature was enamored of his own beauty. He suffered from a curvature and I'd say a curvature in upon himself, away from the worship of the Most High God. And that is the very sin that passed into the human race in Adam's fall. He began to hide himself with fig leaves because of the curvature I an edse, the curvature in upon himself. He became aware of his own inadequacies, his own nakedness, instead of his Savior, his Lord, his God. And that sin began to control the whole human race right then. So this thing called curvatura, you'll never read about it and never hear about it by pundits on TV, even though it is the cure for the kind of attitude and disposition that causes school shootings, mass murders, rape, abuse, sexual harassment, and almost every other thing that plagues our society. Because the answer is the gospel. The answer is a confrontation with the crucified Lord, raised from the dead, 
that interrupts people in the cycle of their living and makes them live extra, say, outside of themselves. That's salvation in the individual's experience, living outside of oneself, but really living. I'll explain this as we go, because this has a lot to do with boasting in our strength. As if Christianity just makes you a better person. It does not. Usually makes someone a lot worse if they get judgmental or if they get pseudo-pious or if they get legalistic or if they go the other way and become Pharisees of freedom. I'll let that one sink in a minute. So, Jerusalem suffered from the curvature in upon oneself that is the very definition of sin and the basis for virtually all creaturely pride and arrogance, as well as the cause for much mental illness that people call it today. Not all. Her motto, that is the motto of Babylon the Great, whom John nicknamed Jerusalem, until her catastrophic fall, pride always goes before a fall, whether it's in Rome or Jerusalem or the United States of America. Pride always goes before a fall. Before her pride, her motto was, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never experience grief. That was her motto until August of A.D. 70. The state of Corvaturai and I'd say is the state from which we are saved. We're saved from curvaturae in ad from curvature in upon ourselves to be oriented outside of ourselves to a hope named Jesus Christ. The state of curvaturae in ad I'm going to say it long enough so that it'll be drilled into your minds, curvature in upon oneself, is a dynamic state of sin. You can confess your sins all day long and call it rebound and confess and confess and say, I did that wrong, I did that. But it's useless unless you realize that the whole dynamic state is a curvature in upon yourself. It's a putting off of the old man that is needed. The putting off of the whole person that's curved in upon herself or himself. It's the life lived, and I use the word life advisedly because it's really death itself. It's a life lived under sin, capital S-I-N, as a power with the fear of death, capital D-E-A-T-H, over our heads like a sword of Damocles. This state and condition is incapable of love, though it makes many professions of love. It says, I love you, but really it's curved in upon itself. I love you. It is locked into narcissistic self-love, 
while all the objects of its so-called love and its professed love are really in the way of its own self-love. The salvation that is enacted by God in Christ and continued in the Christ spirit or the spirit of Jesus Christ is a salvation from this dynamic state of curvature in upon oneself. And as such, it is salvation from ourselves. What do we save from? Ourselves. The curvature in upon ourselves. What do we save to? Newness of life. Extra say in Christo, if I may use a Latin term. They say Latin's a dead language, which is a stupid thing because Latin is throughout our language. It's the root of half our words. So is Greek. So I was just about to take Greek etymology and Latin etymology at the University of Vermont when the Lord so rudely interrupted my life and pulled me out of myself for a moment. And I realized that glorious salvation. I got a taste of the age to come. And then you fight to get back there all the time. You labor to enter into this rest. That's what the word is about. It brings faith, brings about faith. Salvation from ourselves is the actuality that corresponds to the mythology of what people call hell. It's a myth. Eternal damnation, mythology. Annihilation, mythology. Rooted in metaphor, misunderstood. It's a mythology rooted in metaphor, biblical metaphor, misunderstood. Again, it's a mythology rooted in a metaphor, misunderstood. And so, we are saved from ourselves. The salvation that's enacted by God in Christ and that continues in the spirit of Christ now is a salvation from ourselves. Now I'll say this again, salvation from ourselves is the reality that corresponds to the mythology of hell, eternal punishment or annihilation, Gehenna, the lake of fire, the second death, all the rest of it in the scriptures. Curvaturai. In ad se, or curvaturai I, that becomes a big subject in Romans 7, in ad se, is not capable of giving God glory or of gratitude to God. It can get emotional about an idea of God. It can bang tambourines and do the do si do around the pews. It can get all excited. It can weep. It can cry but it's really incapable of giving God glory or of gratitude to God or anyone else for that matter. And worship is just curvature in upon oneself while talking and singing about Jesus. You say, I didn't think that the word was going to pierce me today. Well, if it doesn't, let's go home. The Gentiles suffered from this curvature in upon themselves as a whole, as a people. As a result, Romans 118 to 23 says the, they made an image out of the incorruptible God and they exchanged it. They changed it into a corruptible image 
of the creature, whether they worship the stars, the celestial stars, because of the creature hijacking the zodiac, they get into horoscopes, they get into the guidance of their life through the movements of planets, etc., which they is a worship of creation. Or they make images of four-footed beasts or insects or creeping things or the form of man. But the Jews suffered from this due to their pride in the works of the law or in their privileged status as God's elect. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, Paul turns around after showing that the Gentiles suffer from this curvature in upon themselves, so do the Jews who judge the Gentiles for that behavior. And he said, circumcision isn't even a matter of the flesh. It's an inward thing that the spirit does, and it's a cutting away of the curvature in upon oneself to live extra, say, outside of yourself in Christo, in Christ. That's Christianity. So there's so much stuff that today will pass for Christianity. There's so many Christian solutions to the social problems of our time, which people reject rightly, like they reject any other human solution, because it does not call people out of themselves to live in Christ and to live by the faithfulness of the Son of God with a hope turned forward for a reconciliation of all things in Christ, which is already a fact in the eternal God. We're just waiting for its manifestation in time or at the end of time. Social media today. I'm not a critic of it, but I know that it was initially designed for social interaction, for prosperous social interaction. But in many cases, it's become a tool for empty self-glorying, self-advertisement, self-commendation and congratulation, and for comparisons, competitions, bullying, slander, and a means for the world to say, look at me. Look at me favorably over and against her, over and against him. Look at us favorably over and against them. The scripture says that we have been saved by grace through faith. That's Ephesians 2.8. If you want scripture references, you'll have plenty of them. The scripture says that we have been saved by grace through faith, but it's an ongoing salvation. It's an ongoing interrupting of ourselves in ourselves to live outside of ourselves. And it says, and that not of yourselves. For by grace have you been saved and are being saved through faithfulness. That's the faithfulness of Messiah Jesus, who was obedient to the extent of death by crucifixion. And then raised from the dead. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God and not of works, lest any man should uh, boast. Ephesians 2.9. Jeremiah 9.23 to 24 fans out, not just in Romans. So this not of yourselves is the profound counter dynamic. 
of the curvature in upon oneself. Being saved by grace and being justified or better rectified by faith, we now boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not in our wisdom, not in our strength, not in our wealth, but in the hope of the glory of God. In a day when people strive for external beauty and will go to any lengths to create it for themselves, the horrible disfiguring curvature in upon oneself has no cure. In the human realm, the horrible disfiguring curvature in upon oneself, which leads to boasting, whether it's overt or subtle boasting, people get good at it, is radically confronted and ultimately corrected in an act performed entirely by God. Something that happens to you. Grace called rectification. The ungodly are defined by curvaturae in ad se. But guess what? God justifies, rectifies the ungodly. To be saved is to be placed outside of ourselves, and to put the plural, it's extra nos, outside of ourselves. The word nos meaning is the plural in Latin for us. Like the word notra, notre dame, Notre Dame is our lady, notra, nos, extra nos, outside of ourselves. Or we could even say beyond ourselves. And so the ungodly are defined by this curvature in upon themselves. But to be saved is to be placed outside of ourselves Extra nos, outside of oneself, extra say, outside of me, outside of you. David Congdon again argues, and I think rightly so, this freedom from ourselves, listen carefully, this freedom from ourselves is the very salvation that earlier Christians spoke of in terms of the devil, eternal torment, annihilation, etc. It's really salvation from ourselves they're talking about. The person in the worst sense of curvature in on himself will say, I'm in hell. And you're right. That's what it is. It's the curvature in upon yourself taken to the extreme of self-absorption. And then you're tossed to and fro by every kind of emotion that takes over you, emotions that you've never felt before. You're going to go with them. So this gets quickly to the very heart of Romans, the epistle, especially in Romans 6, 1 to 8, 13. That's where we're going to get to it in earnest. 6, 1, shall we continue... In sin. Shall we continue in this curvature in upon ourselves in which we pursue our own good and to hell with everybody else? May it never be. 
And he goes into the life in the spirit, which is a life extra say outside of you in the Holy Spirit lived by the faithfulness of another participating in the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That's what Romans 6, 1 to 8, 13 teaches. The effect of the power of sin is this never-ending curvature in upon itself. So eternal is a good word for it because it just never ends until God acts, and he does act. Boasting is the result of this condition of being curved in on oneself. Boasting is the result of being curved in upon oneself. And it's the prime activity of this curvaturae in atse. So for this reason, I think we're on to something here. In seeing Jeremiah 9.23 to 24 as a kind of distillation of the message of Romans the epistle. And that Romans the epistle is a kind of fanning out of that distilled wisdom of Yahweh speaking in a prophet. Distilled wisdom from what Paul calls the only wise God. That means God is only wise. And that means God is the only wise whose wisdom can be boasted in. Oh, the depth of the wisdom, the saving wisdom of God. To the only wise God, says Romans sixteen twenty seven be honor and glory throughout the ages to come. At the root in the heart of the group biases, groups with their biases, how about a group curved in upon itself, a clique, a faction, a sect, a denomination? The strong in Romans were a group. They called themselves that. They boasted in what? Their strength. They looked outside of their little group. They were Gentiles. They had freedom. But they were Pharisees of the very freedom that they had. They were Pharisees of freedom. They bopped people over the head with their freedom that weren't ready for that freedom yet. And they looked over here at these Jewish Christians that were coming back into Rome after being banished under Claudius the emperor. And they were filling up the churches and they looked at them as weak because some of them, oh, they believed. They had faith in Jesus Christ, but they still seemed to linger on some of the kosher meal things. And they still seemed to respect certain days, feast days under Torah. And Paul says, so what? So they do. Who cares? It's nothing. If a man falls or if a man stands, he stands or he falls to his own master. That's what Romans 14 is teaching. He's getting at a group bias that looks out from itself at others with disdain or diminishes the value of others. Because curvature in upon oneself makes you unable to even be aware that others around you might be suffering. They might be hurting. They might be in need. They might need to be served by love. We don't know that when we're curved in upon ourselves. So it's this very condition and dynamic state that makes for group bias and then mutual resentment. And guess what? 
the saving act of God in Christ and its continual action in the spirit is the only remedy for it. The only remedy for it. Salvation from ourselves is also a salvation to a self that has been turned away from self to God and to other human beings. It's quite amazing. It's a salvation in which a person becomes part of a new creation altogether. Extra say in Christo, outside of self, in Christ. That's where the life is. Not going to find it curved in on yourself. Search all your life. You won't find it. Make a Christian profession. profession. Be Be part of the professing Christendom. And all you are is a person made more miserable because you're curved in on yourself and you know you're not adequate for the new laws you're getting, the new commandments you're getting. It's a newness of life that we're saved to. It's the antithesis, the opposite of the life of curvaturae in Adesse. The Roman Empire suffered from the self-destructive collective phenomena. It happens to groups. It happens to families. It happens to churches. It happens to communities, cities, nations, generations. It was a phenomenon of Roman Empire. It was a phenomenon imitated by its citizens, even when they had faith evoked in the gospel. It still remained. It was a phenomenon imitated by Jerusalem and by the people of God in Israel. It is nothing more than what Paul called the cosmos, the world system, the evil age in Galatians 1.4. So, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, your whole being, that means, as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. And stop being conformed to this world. This world is defined by that curvature in upon itself, which leads to boasting. But be transformed from within by the renewing of your mind. And stop being arrogant, Paul said. I'm telling you this by the grace of God that was given to me as an apostle. In 12.3, we forget that one. Stop being arrogant. Stop being curved in upon yourself. The salvation is an ongoing thing. Reconciliation of the whole world's already happened. It happened at Calvary. It's done. It's finished. Faith is no condition for you to be reconciled. Faith is simply a correspondence to your reconciled status. So get over yourselves and your boasting in your own belief. I'm saying that. See, that command curves in upon myself. As a preacher, I have to preach. But all the commands and exhortations and even rebukes and reproofs come curve back in on me. So get angry if you want, but we know where anger gets you. 
just deeper in. Deeper in. The cosmos or the present evil age is simply the cosmic dimension of curvature in upon oneself. The evil age is an epic that's defined by it. This is this present evil age. Christ Jesus came to deliver us from this present evil age, which is what? It is defined by a curvature in upon itself, the creature worshiping the creature, Rome worshiping its Caesar, who is the collective representative of all of Rome, Rome worshiping its military with all of its parades of its power, with all of its crushing power, which Daniel saw as a beast. And the apocalypticists saw as a raging, ruthless beast crushing everywhere it went. Oh, but the Romans called it Pax Romana, a peace brought to the world by Rome, by their god, Augustus, and by the gods of the Caesars, and by Nike, the goddess of victory. People worship victory. They don't see a crucified Savior as the victory and the salvation of the world. They don't worship the one who was crucified in weakness. They don't glory in their weakness like Paul did. He gloried in his infirmities and his weaknesses because it was only then that he could be strengthened. He realized that his strength could only happen outside of himself in Christ. That's why he became an apostle of grace like you should be and I should be. We're all part of an apostolate of grace. Now, because this is the most important message I've ever proclaimed in my life, please listen for a few more minutes. This is what Jesus called losing one's life by saving it rather than saving one's life by losing it. The life that we try to save is the life inside ourselves, and we end up losing life of all kinds. But when we lose our life, which is the life that is curved in upon ourselves, we gain a life that is outside ourselves, but it's still a life that we live. But we live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. Losing our life in the sense intended by Jesus is merely allowing a conversion. And I use that word not in a religious sense, but it's allowing a conversion from curvature in upon oneself to outside of oneself. Living by faith is living literally outside of yourself, beyond yourself. Participating in the faithfulness of another. And this, please get this, this is only possible to God with whom nothing is impossible. This is the act of God performed on us in grace through the faithfulness of Jesus the Messiah, which he took to the extent of crucifixion in utter weakness, utter divine weakness, human weakness, God abandonment in the paradox of being abandoned by God and yet God was with him. This is solely the act of God, only the act of God, 
only the act of God, by whose inimitable power Jesus was raised from the dead. By grace you were saved. And by grace you are being saved through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and through a faith that was awakened in you and gifted to you by which you may live extra say outside of yourself, apart from yourself, to the one who was crucified and raised from the dead. What did Paul say? Christ died for all. If one died for all, then all died. So we should henceforth be mastered by the love of Christ. And then what did he say in 5.15? We do not live any longer to ourselves, but to him who raised from the dead outside of ourselves to him who was raised from the dead. That's something that happens in the quiet moments of your life. While you read, while you think, while you watch TV, while you drive, while you speak, while you express your love to your family. Comes from that place that has power. Outside of oneself, to the one who was crucified. It says Christ died to sin once, but now he does what? He lives to God. Consider yourselves also to be dead to sin and alive to God. Alive to God. Extra say in Christo. Outside of the sin-controlled self with an awareness of others. And even a desire to serve others by love. Use not your freedom as a base of operations for the flesh, but by love serve one another. Galatians 5.13. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus said, John 13, 34 and 35. If you do this, then the whole world's going to know that you're my disciples. In another significant passage in Jeremiah, the prophet utters another profound insight. I love this. This is at the depth of my own being. He said, I know, Lord, that a man's way of life is not his own. No one who walks determines his own steps. Jeremiah realized that. Curvature I in say curvature in upon oneself says the opposite. It declares its own personal declaration of independence. A man or a woman's way of life is his or her own. It doesn't sound like what Paul said. You have been bought with a price and you're not your own. But if you want to just declare that you're independent from God and that you are your own and keep your life. You'll find it oozing away from you. Keep your life and pray with it. Sing with it. Serve with it. Witness with it. And call yourself a Christian. And the word will the world will rightly vomit. Because it's all done within yourself. And it's look at me being a Christian. Look at me worshiping Jesus. And when bad things happen, look at me grieving instead of 
grieving outside of myself with an expectation of glory and an expectation of reconciliation, an expectation of God rectifying, giving life. Look at me grieving. People are put off by it, and they should be. This is the mindset of the flesh. The veritable motto of the life curved in on itself is, my life is my own. It's the life which is enmity to God and resentful of others. It's the mindset of the flesh. The mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. That's Romans 8, 5, and 6, incidentally, and 7. The person who is led by the Spirit is truly alive and experiences the inner security of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Such a person has no need to compare herself with others or measure himself by others. Such a person lives outside of herself and beyond himself in Christ by the spirit of Jesus Christ with an orientation to an eschatological hope. Setting things right in the whole world, the liberation of all creation, no longer living curved in on oneself without hope, without God in the cosmos, even if you call yourself a Christian without hope, without God in the cosmos, imitating the curvature in upon oneself that is this evil age. So Paul doesn't tell Christians believe. He tells them to present their bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus doesn't tell his disciples just to believe. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Deny the life that curves in upon itself, and you'll have life the kind of life that goes on in the eternal age, which has been inaugurated by the cross of Christ. Curvature in upon oneself has to boast in its own strength because it's threatened or made envious by the achievements or the progress or the supposed strength of others. Or it diminishes the real achievement of others, and even worse, it diminishes the achievement of God in Christ at the cross and at the resurrection. Most of all, it diminishes the achievement of God in Christ. And guess what? There is no way out of this hell that a person can trust in the Lord with all of his heart, or stop leaning on their own understanding. There's no way they can do it, except for an act of God. Curvatore in adse, listen carefully, as I'll close soon, is the cause for horrific school shootings, for murder, for adultery, perversion, abuse, sexual harassment, Rape, war, terrorism, fear, hatred, ressentiment, factiousness, bigotry, drug addiction, alcoholism. It's the root of neurotic anxiety and of debilitating self-destructive 
worry. It's the root and the basis of addiction. So what can we do? What can we do? I'll tell you what we can do. We can be witnesses of the reconciliation of the world by God in Christ. We can live extra say outside of ourselves in hope and in participation with the faithfulness of Jesus Christ by this living apostleship and by the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation, the apocalypse of a mystery in in Romans 16, 25. People are confronted with the Savior who was not crucified in strength. Crucified he was in weakness. He was crucified in weakness. He didn't come to justify the righteous, but to justify the sinner. He didn't come to call people who are already righteous, but the sinners. God justifies the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. He was crucified in weakness. My God is a crucified man. Raised from the dead out of utter and total and complete weakness. He was crucified in weakness, but he lives now by the power of God. We can put on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, and make no provision for the flesh at all. Romans 13, 14. And that's the very expression, that flesh, the definition of the flesh in its negative sense in Paul in Romans is the expression of the dynamic of the curvature in upon oneself. It's the source of jealousy. Envy, anger, resentment. It's the fount of factions, cliques, group biases, which always tend to belittle the status of any outsiders. We can present our bodies, our entire being as a living sacrifice to God and stop being conformed to the mindset of this age, which is the very mindset of curvaturai in adse, which in turn is arrogance and frustration of the grace of God. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh and the aspirations of the flesh, what the flesh is always wanting and what it always wants is self-recognition and a sense of superior honor or prestige among or over our peers. Those who belong to Christ crucify the flesh with that aspiration. That's Galatians 5.24. Christendom, we call it that, it's the realm of the flesh with a Christian profession. When I say Christendom, That's C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-D-O-M. I'm talking not about the realm of people in Christ. I'm talking about the realm of the flesh with a Christian profession. Does not have the answers to the deepest problems we confront today. Not at all. 
There's a form of Christianity, and I put that in quotes, which has been weighed and found wanting. It's on the way out. I don't freak out about it. I love it. It's on the way out. Whether it's a ritualistic form of Christendom or whether it's a hyper-spiritual form of Christendom or whether it's just the profession of Jesus as if he's your sidekick. If you're as old as me, you remember Wild Bill Hickok. He had a sidekick named Jingles. Jingles was kind of a jolly fellow. Just rode around. He was a sidekick. And then, of course, famous, more famous, is Lone Ranger and his sidekick, Tonto, Kemosabe. And they kind of reverse roles in the new Johnny Depp version of it, which was pathetic. But I, I just said that because Jesus isn't your sidekick. And neither does he make you his sidekick. For me to live is Christ, living is Christ, to die, well, that's just gain. I'm not looking forward to death. I'm looking forward to the gain that death will bring me. Someone said, I'm not afraid. I told someone recently, I'm not afraid of heights. I'm afraid of falling from them. Not even afraid of falling from them. I'm afra- afraid of the results of having fallen from heights and striking the bottom. So, in closing, number two, we have to put off the form of the world with the old and obsolete man. The form of the world includes the Christian form. God is shucking the Christian form like a snake sheds its skin. Don't be freaked out about it, it has to happen. It's happening in our time. It's being shocked. Don't be upset that the, Christ, that the non-Christian world has rejected that form of Christendom. It's right that they do because the gospel that's going to confront them will shock them right out of themselves where they will find Jesus Christ and salvation. We have to put off this form of the world, the Christian professing one, with the old and obsolete man, because it's not the triune prescription. The prien inscription is overtaken by the triune prescription of a salvation from ourselves. Romans, the epistle, is that prescription. The triune prescription for salvation. So let not the strong person boast in her strength. In Romans 14, Paul addresses a group of saints in real time. They call themselves the strong which is fine unless you're using that status to boast against the weak. They consisted primarily of Gentile saints who were essentially Pharisees of freedom. They took their freedom from the Torah and their freedom from kosher regulations and celebrations of feast days as a reason to boast at the expense of mainly Jewish or proselytic Jews who came to faith in Christ but still were scrupulous about eating and drinking and certain special days, etc. This, in turn, caused an angry reaction on the part of those who were the so-called weak, who despised the strong. So both groups and the individuals within these groups were in the malady of curvaturae 
ad in se. Curvature in upon my oneself. The cure was to realize that the self that is curved in on itself was crucified with Christ to be raised up to newness of life. Stay with me one more minute. That's a newness of life in Romans 6, 4 and 7, 6. In the spirit, it's a newness of life which may be defined as extra say outside yourself in Christo, in Christ. Listen carefully because it's all summed up in a short word by Paul the Apostle himself. I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God in which I participate by grace, he says. I don't frustrate the grace of God. Let me tell you what that means. The I that was crucified is the curved in upon oneself self. The I that lives is the I extra se, the new person living the life outside oneself in Christ. So it's worth noting that the Roman Empire and the Caesarean kind of being, the Caesar's kind of being world famous by boasting, is replaced by the world-famous faith of the Roman saints right in the heart of the beast. Your faith has become world-famous, Paul said in Romans 1.8. Faith which boasts or ought to boast in the Lord who does mercy in all the earth, who does judgment in all the earth, who does righteousness in all the earth. And Father, we end up by boasting in you today. We can't help it. We've just got knocked out of ourselves. And we thank you, Father, outside of ourselves, living to you. What a joy is there. What a true joy. What a true peace. What true love is found there. May we all, Father, find the grace because of an act that you perform upon us of living outside of ourselves. Sometimes it's only a moment, and we long for that moment for the rest of our lives. But more and more, more and more, each moment becomes a moment which we can live outside of ourselves and beyond ourselves in Christ, who is crucified in weakness, and yet he lives by the power of God. And those of us who preach and proclaim your word, Father, which really is all of us, may we do what Paul said, I also, we are also weak in him, And yet we live by the power of God toward you. The power of God's love we live in, in our weakness toward others. May that be the case in our case. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.